Welcome back. My name is Chris. And I am Steve. And this is Streaming Things. This time we get an extra special episode as we do each week. It's a patron demanded coverage. Uh, this one comes in from longtime listener Emmy. Is that Emmy, correct, Steve? It sure does. Uh, the movie is A Night at the Opera from 1935 from the famous Marx Brothers. This is my first Marx Brothers movie, I think. Steve, what about you? It's my first as well. I know this is a cultural blind spot for myself. Personally, a lot of like movies, especially of this era, the 30s, and pretty much anything before the 60s. It's like I probably haven't seen it. My yeah, I'm pretty ignorant when it comes to cinema. I've seen a lot of Hitchcock, of course, um, and I've recently started. You know, over the past few years, been getting into Kurosawa and stuff like that. But I've seen one movie older than this. Because uh, I've never seen a silent film. I've never watched like Birth of a Nation or any of that weird shit. <laughs> um, knowing like the the uh, insidious undertones of this movie or overtones of those movies. <laughs> well, of Birth of a Nation in particular. Yeah, yeah uh, <laughs> I've never and I've never watched any like Charlie Chaplin or anything all the way through. And mm-hmm. it's on the list. Like Modern Times, that kind of stuff is on the list. Um, never have though. So M for the German film M from 1931, I think is the oldest movie I've watched. Um, so this doesn't take that cake, but uh, it's it's among that. And my first Marx Brothers entry. So that's this is pretty early into the the talkies, as it were. The talkies, you see. But I don't have any context or extra intelligence to add as far as like uh, the Marx Brothers oeuvre or what they meant to the culture. Though I know that they were ridiculously popular, and you see why watching this. So this is our first through uh, watch through of A Night at the Opera. We'll do our best to do our usual play by play, but there's really not much to that. It's 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 honestly I was having some trouble taking notes for this particular movie because a lot of the movie is based around uh, rapid fire jokes. Like they're just joke 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 yeah, joke 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 really, one liner one liner one liner. There's only five or six setups, and then just like lengthy jokes mm-hmm. uh, throughout that are rapid fire, like you said. Yeah, so I was like trying to write down every joke at the beginning of the uh, the, the watch. I'm like, I I can't keep up. This yeah. is too quick. I can't do it. They're, yeah. th- those Marx Brothers, they know what they're doing. They're 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 rapid firing on me. It's kind of amazing. It's really interesting to watch from the lens of like you know they weren't that good at even recording sound yet. You know, like some of the um, during some of the musical numbers, like you can hear the sound kind of blow out. And uh, I mean, it's hard enough nowadays, much less when nobody knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting from that perspective. Um, but yeah, I'm interested to, th- to know what you what you thought, Steve. I know we both have kind of similar tastes in slapstick comedy. We're both Mel Brooks fans, Monty Python fans. Uh, you can see the the you know DNA of those legendary filmmakers tracing back to people like the Marx Brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was fun to watch it for that reason as well. What did you think watching A Night at the Opera? This is a very interesting movie to watch. Like I, I really, really loved. I really appreciated the comedy that they were all putting out, specifically Groucho Marx. I think anything that he does as Otis B. Driftwood in this movie is gold. Like he's he's spitting out some amazing jokes. Uh, Chico Marx as Fiorello. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, he's also very funny. I got to be honest with you. The, the Harpo Marx, Tommaso, more silent, dumb guy slapstick jokes don't really do anything for me mm-hmm. on a whole. Like usually like I would be one of the people that's in this movie, like get out of here, dummy, like chase him with a hammer. Yeah. And then he would knock me out with a hammer blow. Yeah. I was saying like, that I, he's going to knock you out for sure. I, I would be Gottlieb in this situation. Cause I would say like, get out of here, you weirdo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, these movies are always fascinating to me because it's 1935 when this is made. And the whole time I'm just watching it, just like, 
holy shit, this movie's almost, it's approaching 100 years old, right? Yeah. It's getting there. And just just watching just human beings from that time and just how people talked and moved and walked around and the way the stage setups were and the different type of shots that they used and how they didn't care to just splice in takes at the, without changing camera angles. They're like, oh, camera ch- camera changed, but the scene didn't. Like, I love that type of shit. It's just fascinating just to kind of watch how the world was in this particular moment in terms of cinema. It's it's very eye-opening and just incredible to watch. And that's part of the allure, I think, for me at least, watching these older movies is just, is just being amazed. Like, wow, look at all the stuff they're doing to make a movie. That's so easy for us to make now, but for then had to be so much harder just the type of cameras they're using, the type of lenses they're using, how you have to, you have to light a black and white film completely different with how you light a color movie. Yeah. Um, it's just the talent involved is just jaw dropping. Um, cause like I said, stuff that literally takes me a second to do today and with cameras and lighting would take them like, it, it floors me how they could do some of the stuff that they're doing. I agree. Like, I, I do think it's fascinating to imagine life outside, outside the frames of the movie when watching a movie like this. Uh, and also like the, what's going on from a filmmaking perspective, uh, especially after watching like, uh, Babylon and, you know, movies about old, old Hollywood, pre new Hollywood. Uh, it's fascinating to me, but also I, I think it's cool. Like this is a movie about, uh, taking a shot at, uh, upper class in a way, right? High society in a way that I can always appreciate as oh, a, sure. as a poor, let's eat the rich, man. Eat the rich, eat A-ca- them rich people. Groucho March Mark says a cab says it right here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you know, from that perspective, I, I had a great time and honestly, I, I've talked about it on other, on other episodes this week, but it was a brutal week for me work wise. And then watching the amount Same. of stuff we needed to watch for the pod. And this was the last thing on the list. Same. And, and after an onslaught and it was like, oh, this is the movie from 1935. Like I told my wife, like, um, I, I need to put the baby to bed. I can't get her to sleep. I'm frustrated because I got to go watch this movie from 1935. And she said, that sounds terrible. You know, cause it's my wife's not into that kind of stuff. Right. Like, like, I laughed. And anyway, I sat down exhausted as I was, and I kind of gave up on my notes ish early on, but I really was entranced by this movie and I got some really hard laughs out of it. Like I truly did. I'm a, yeah, I'm a pun this, guy. This was of all the movies we've watched recently. This was the one where I'm like, I need to give up on trying to take notes because I feel like I'm doing the movie a disservice by trying to take notes. Yeah, There's so much to miss. So many double entendres flying at yeah, you. It's flying a mile a minute. It's incredible. Um, but we'll do our best to recap and, and talk about some of the things that we enjoyed specifically. Um, we opened the movie with the, t- the, the iconic Metro Goldwyn Meyer scary lion, Leo, the lion and his roar, by the way, MGM was founded in 1924. So this is only like less than a decade later into their, the roaring lion shtick. Mm. Uh, and we get, uh, Driftwood, the character played by Groucho Marx at a dinner, uh, and, He's it's this hilarious scene where uh, Mrs. Claypool is eating by herself. She's waiting for for Driftwood and he's been behind her eating with someone else for an hour. Uh, and there's a couple great little lines where um, like he's like, oh, look at this bill. Uh, I, I wouldn't want to pay that and gives it to the woman. This is not rich. If I were you, I wouldn't pay it for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't pay it. Yeah. I laugh so hard when before the whole reveal that he's behind her, she's like, oh, boy. 
and this 45 year old man comes up to her and she's like, can you page Mr. Driftwood? And he's like, right away. And then he like takes two steps away from her. Is there a Mr. Driftwood here? <laughs> I don't know why that made me laugh so hard. It's little shit like that. Like I started laughing harder than I thought I would. Um, but that whole interplay where he's just open about the fact that he's taking advantage of her because she's rich and that's his whole shtick. Uh, but he's supposedly so charming and, and it's, I was in immediately. I was like, oh, this is interesting. I couldn't figure out what his deal was the whole time. Like, is he a carn artist? Is he? Yeah, he's a grifter, you know, but he, but he also works for the, the, the opera. Well, he got that job through Mrs. Claypool, which is why he lost it when, uh, okay. when she, he's no longer, um, seducing the widow. Cause she's like, you keep hanging out with that riffraff. So, so what does he do for the opera? Uh, like what is his role? I don't know. Is he just Miss Claypool's yeah. guy? Guy. He's the that's talky just, that's guy. The guy. He, he, what does anyone do in a high position at a company, though, really? <sighs> Amen, man. <laughs> what, do, what do they do? Uh, nothing. Um, and then we cut to this like costume bit. It's how we meet Tommaso, who's uh, what? Chico Marks? Is that his name? Uh, Harpo is Tommaso. Is it Harpo? Oh, it's Harpo. Yeah, Chico is Fiorella. Fiorella. They're, they're Italians, hey? Uh, and there's like, there's like a costume bit where he's dressed as like a clown and then he's got another costume under that and a costume under that and then a dress under that. And, uh, uh, Laspari, the kind of villain, the main famous opera singer of the movie is angry that he's wearing all his stuff and he's like physically abusing him. He's like beating him with a whip and shit. Yeah. Is Tommaso like his, like, it's like his lackey or yeah. something. It's weird. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what they're really. It's like his gimp. He like chases it. He like whips him out of Pulp the room. <laughs> Get back in your cage. Actually, he was in uh, a trunk as well at one point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like Pulp Fiction. Yeah. He chases him out of the room with a whip and she, he runs into this woman named Rosa who's like, Hey man, you're lucky to get rid of that you guy because be he fires him. He's like, you're fired. Get out of here. But then he comes back out and he's like, I need you back. I need to beat you some more. Well, I think there's that element, but also I, I got the vibe that he like heard Rosa who he's trying to woo. And so he pretends to be nice to him in front of her. I'm just joshing. Yeah. Come on back I'm in here. I'm just joshing. Uh, but the Laspari entices Rosa to dinner with an invitation from Herman Gottlieb, who is, we met in the first dinner scene. He's like the uh, New York opera house owner. And that's her dream is to sing in New York. See? Uh, so she's like, oh, okay, I'll go to dinner with you for that. But she's in love with Ricardo, the like he's in the chorus. He's an unknown tenor singer. Yeah, he's got um, a great voice, but he just doesn't have that reputation yet. He hasn't had the luck to break out yet. And uh, he's got the, what they call moxie. Tommaso is a physical comedian. And I don't know if that's Harpo Marx's thing in all the movies. I know that Groucho is the leader and he's always got those double entendre filled one liners as his thing. But he does like the scene where he, he, he he's hitting the guy over the head with a hammer and then making him use smelling salts and then waking him up just to hit him again. Oh, that'll get him. Uh, I just love the rye uh, that Driftwood is just it's he's not so good. He's not really a part of the whole knocking out of uh, what's his name? Fiorello or, or uh, Laspari. Sorry. He's not really a part of this whole thing, but he's just wryly standing there like, ah, that'll do it. Yeah. Give him the smelling salts. That's good. Cool. Teach you to talk to me that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's always there to chime in. He, he doesn't snitch on the, you know, Tommaso and Ricardo and the gang that are stowaways on the ship later. And he kind of helps them, but he's also just kind of amused by everything. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, even if it's hurting him, like he's got that tiny room and he just keeps inviting. My One of my favorite lines of the room scene on the steamship is when, uh, the woman shows up and one of the women shows up. She knocks on the door and she says, would you like a manicure? And he says, no, come on in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so 
one, you know, offhanded. <laughs> and it's just, he's just like, fuck it. Yeah, come on in. Why not? Why not? He's an agent of chaos. He yeah. actually, it seems like he enjoys the chaos of the world that these other yes. gentlemen bring. And there was something comforting in this movie about the way that he would handle extreme setbacks. Uh, like at one point he gets fired from his job because he's been hanging out with Tommaso and the gang and he gets kicked out of the hotel and he is trying to sit on the bench, but all of his other buddies took the bench and he has to sit on the grass. And then the guy comes by and he's like, get off the grass. I don't even have the grass. And then they all get up to greet Rosa, who's also been fired from the opera there. And he's like, well, at least I got my bench back and it's dumb. It's like some old school singing in the rain type shit. Once a wonderful life kind of thing. But I was like very comforted in my like exhausted way by that. Cause that shit happens, you know? Yeah. At least I got my bench. Yeah. You mm-hmm. just got to focus on the positive. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, uh, so he there's a great scene that we skip by, though, at the very beginning here where we get the contract for Ricardo joining the opera because uh, what's his name? Fiorello Ferrello wants to manage him. And there's this great back and forth with contracts between him and Driftwood where they keep I don't think either one of them can read. So they're just making stuff up and they keep. <laughs> so he, he keeps. I, I, well, I think Groucho can read. He's just nearsighted or something. Well, that's what he says, but I get the vibe that he said that because he can't read, but maybe. I, I just love how he initially hands him the. It's one of my favorite lines where he hands him the, the contract. He's like, there's no need for you reading it because they're duplicates. <laughs> like, oh, and, okay. And then he says it in duplicate. <laughs> and there's no need for, need for you to read it. They're duplicates. Can you, and then they go back for like, can you hear? Well, I haven't heard anything yet. Yeah. Can you read? I can read, but I can't see it. And they just like kind of go back and forth for like a minute or two. And yeah, then he keeps ripping clauses off. And then at some point. The party in the first shall be known in this contract as the party in the first part. Reread the first part. <laughs> <laughs> and they just, oh, we don't need that. Oh, this next paragraph, you're not going to like it. Well, no, no sense in ruining a new friendship. Well, this way, let's rip that one out, too. And they just keep making this long contract shorter and shorter. And then I laugh so hard when he's like, and this is the sanity clause. There's no there's no need for a sanity clause. He's like, hey, you're not going to tell me there's no such thing as sanity clause. Yeah, like, dude. But my favorite part was right after he ripped off the second clause. Uh, uh, Pharrell looks at him and says, uh, oh, what do you got now? And he says, oh, about a foot and a half. <laughs> it's like the length of the paper. And it's dumb. It's that kind of shit that got me uh, unexpectedly. Uh or the, like there's like little tiny things like uh, when they're first together, the waiter comes up and uh, it's it's those two with the contracts bit. And he says, uh, I'll take two beers. And the other guy says, I'll take two beers, too. <laughs> like he clearly ordered him a beer. He's like, I'll take two beers, too. Again, I don't think anybody else would call out that as like their favorite joke. But it's little things like that that just took me out. Um yeah, we get the there's a ten dollar contract. Well, but after taxes, and they do that whole thing. He'll it's just about break even. He can live <laughs> like a prince as long as he doesn't eat. Um, anyway, we cut to uh, Rosa Castaldi. She's going to New York, and it's uh, Lespari's on the boat with her. And uh, another dumb joke from Driftwood. <laughs> He's like, uh, "Do I have time to pay my hotel bill? No." Great. And then, you know. <laughs> Great. That works for me. Um, um, I, I, and then there's this part. The, this is one part of the movie. I'm like, I, I'm not. A, and I think we talked about this off air. Like, I'm not an opera guy. So all sure. the opera stuff like doesn't really. Hit. No, none of the musical parts for the most part is working at all. Yeah, this does, movie could have been 40 minutes of awesomeness. So they're all like, 
Laspari, won't you sing for us? And he makes up a, a I lie. Got the laryngitis. He's like, I got the laryngitis. Really, he's just like, why? Why would I sing for these people for free? Why would I sing for free? So they go to Rosa. Like Rosa, Rosa, won't you sing? She's like, absolutely. And I she starts. She starts singing the song. It's very long, and then it cuts to well, like. She chooses to sing to cleverly say goodbye to Ricardo, right? Yeah, and it's cutting to Ricardo, who's like, and this is the most like. Jimmy Stewart esque, like always smiling. Oh, oh, <laughs> just I'm just so happy. To, Rose is singing to me, like that whole shtick. Yeah. He sticks out like a sore thumb in this movie. It's hilarious how much Ricardo does not fit <laughs> anybody else in this movie. Yeah, but um, he's kind of getting into it, and everyone's like, "Ah, oh, Rose is such a great singer." And you think the scene's over, and then Ricardo's like, "I'm also singing too." <laughs> And I will sing longer than Rosa. And by, <laughs> by the end of the scene, all the people that had surrounded Rosa, like, sing, sing, they all left. <laughs> yeah, we're not here for you, weird guy. So, you're, not, that, you're not on the fucking boat. I don't know if that was intentional, but I was laughing so hard that everyone's like, I don't know, this fucking weirdo. I'm sure it was. <laughs> they seem like geniuses. Um, and inside the boat, she's weeping and then Driftwood has a, you could see that he's a kind character cause he shows, he passes her the note from Ricardo. Like this is what the doctor ordered. Take it to every two hours. And it's just the note from Ricardo. Uh, and, but he's like riding the trunk, uh, with the valet guy the entire way. He hits I, I another trunk. And yeah. They go past the, 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 the greatest aviators of our time, which are like three identical right brothers with beards. And he's like, was that three fellows or one fellow with three beards? <laughs> And he sells the guy fake fake insurance, oh, uh, yeah. which is just his hotel bill. Mm -hmm. Give me that dollar. Uh, he gets to his tiny room after uh, telling uh, Mrs. Claypool that she has to meet him there in 10 minutes. And this is when we get the slapstick shtick of all of the like the clown car, like all the people in the tiny room, because the three of them have stowed away in his trunk. One of them in the bottom drawer. Uh, yeah, and yeah, it makes a, in the bottom drawer. Makes a joke about his cheap suit, right? Well, there wasn't any room for us, so we had to sell the suit. What'd you get for it? Dollar forty. That sounds like my suit. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's a fucking cheap suit joke, but I appreciated it even in twenty twenty three. Even when they like loaded his luggage into the room, the he tells the bellhop, the bellhop's like, "Can I do anything else for you?" He's like, "Yeah, how about tomorrow? You load me in and set of the luggage." Well, yeah, he's like, well, "Maybe you can move this out so I can go in." Yeah. Uh, it, but he's like, he's not mad about the situation. Yeah, he's just kind of like. I would be mad. It's so unlike me that I just, I love it in a comforting way. Like I said, uh, but my favorite joke. He loves the chaos. Of the entire movie. He's so dumb. It's right here in yeah, this scene. I love it too. He said, he's got insomnia. Don't wake him up. He's trying to sleep it off, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I just fucking Was it Fiorello it. who says that? I think it was, uh, yes, Fiorello. Um, if we're saying his name correctly over and over, that'd be great. Um Oh, then, so she, then, he then he said, hold on. I also like when he's ordering food. Yeah. Got any stewed prunes, which I guess stewed back then was a, a, a metaphor for drunk. And he says, give him some coffee. That'll sober him up. Uh, meaning the prunes. I don't know. I thought that was funny. It's dumb as shit. Well, I love when he's he's ordering the food. He's like, I'll have this and a hard boiled egg. And then Firo's like, uh, uh. and another hard boiled egg and another hard boiled egg uh, uh, and another hard boiled egg. Make it three hard boiled eggs. I thought you were getting annoyed because they did that a lot. They did it so it was one of those things where it was annoying. And then it was and funny then again. It circled back to being <laughs> yeah. funny. And then like and what I assume is 16 hardboiled eggs. Either a foghorn or or we're about to hit a lighthouse or something like that. Or 16 hardboiled eggs. And one duck egg. Like <laughs> yeah. how many eggs did these guys need? So many eggs. So many so Have you got, we, Do you take tips? Yes. 
Have you got two fives? Well, yes, sir, I do. Well, then you don't need the 10 cents I was going to give you. (laughs) (laughs) And then it starts this like really long skit of like people fitting into this tiny room and him just inviting people in getting a manicure while they're trying to make the bed and uh the one guy is basically a, a narcoleptic this is what his real issue seems to be one woman's like can i use your phone sure come on in if you can get to the phone it'll be a miracle and then all of the waiters are in there with all the food and, and then by the time uh mrs claypool arrived to the room they all tumble out of course Mm-hmm. And then we cut to kind of a dichotomy. Like we see all the rich people at dinner and then it cuts to all of the regular people eating like giant pots of spaghetti and stuff. Right. It's and pots of spaghetti look great. It did. It looks so much better. And so amazing. Tommaso so amazed, uh, you know, and then they start to jam after they eat all the food and there's a actually really, I hated all the musical scenes. I'll be honest. Yeah, um, Ricardo, great voice. I, not my thing. Not my thing. No. But the translating accents is kind of like a shtick to me, and I have to get into that vibe. But I really did appreciate it eventually, but the music I did not. Until this scene. I really... Tommaso reminded me of Martin Short. I don't know if that's uh, a weird thing of mine, but he just kind of looks Actually, like I, him. Yeah, I could he, see a Martin Short in his face. His yeah. whole vibe reminded me of, like, Martin Short. And uh, I, I like the Kosi Kosa song. I did. But I loved when he was doing the slapstick piano for the kids and then played, yeah. when he played the harp. It was such a gorgeous two-shot of the guy listening through the harp at Tommaso's face. And I don't know if he's really playing the harp, but it looked like he was. And it was kind of entrancing and beautiful. And I, I was all the way in at this point. I love the piano scene because I just found myself watching the people, the kids and yeah. like the older folk who are kind of more in the background. And I liked to imagine that most of them didn't even understand what a movie was all the way. And they yeah. were just having a great time. They were losing their fucking minds. <laughs> there was this one woman. I, I could not keep my eyes off her. She was like maybe like three rows back. But she's, I know like, what you mean. she's like, ah, just like <laughs> losing it. Like he played a key and she'd be like, I'm feeling it. Like <laughs> she was losing. And then he's. I don't know why, but he like Oh, he hurt his fingies. And he ended the he was ending it by like he was doing like a finger gun, but he would like 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 when he would press the key, he would like you know, pull the hammer of yeah. the finger gun. I just I, something about it was like bing bing bing. And the kids are loving it. He faked hurting his fingers and he's like his limp he's wrist. Spinning the stool. Yeah. Uh and, and and then the like you said, the harp thing was mesmerizing to me because I've never actually sat and paid attention to someone playing the harp. So watching him, what I assume is him actually playing the harp, it was mesmerizing. I was like, wow, look at him go. Like, that's so talented to play an instrument like that. Yeah, I was grateful that they stayed on that shot for so long. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it was gorgeously set up, the whole, even the composition of the shot itself. So. But Chris, do you know what I'm grateful for? Your mother. I am. Carol's a gem. My friendship. Your friendship. Very grateful for that. But even more than that. Coke Zero. Love Coke Zero. It's the same <gasps> taste as Coke. I know what you're grateful sugars. for. What's that? Patrons. <gasps> I am. Let's shout out some of our patrons Let's who went on that. to patreon.com slash streaming things. And they have become a super Patreon producer for the month of June. Uh, these are people who signed up for the tiers $25 and up. And let's give them some You got thanks. two fives? Do you, do you want to... Do you want to... Do you want to read them off this time, Sadie? I think I do. Uh, this is a, a much obliged to all of these. F- I don't know why I got a Western voice. I'm much obliged. I mean, you have to actually read these because I have not made a duplicate. We've not made a duplicate. Nope. And all the lists are typically in duplicate. This is Chester Copperpot, Stanton Valentino, Svento mm. Seven, Jaron Bowers. Jaron? Jaron? Let me start over. Correct the name for me. Though. All right. Is it Jaron? I think. 
I can't read it. It's turned away. Jarn? J-A-R-O-N. Let's just roll with it, baby. Chester Copperbot, Stanton Valentino, Svento7, Jaron Bowers, Jenny, A.K. Ashley Ray, Alan Tomlinson, Wendy O'Loughlin, Jason mm. Hawkins, they Trey Barrera, Conrad, yeah. David Malfara, Kaylee Simpson, Rabbit Dog, and a Barbie car. That's a Oh, I don't want to be in that car. No, you don't. Jose Ruben Cruz Rodriguez, <laughs> Alexa Sadler, Thomas Alexander, Emmy, Joe Velez, Valerie. Emmy, I like Emmy a lot. She made this episode happen. Yeah, I've always wanted an Emmy. Aaron Layton, John <laughs> Collins, six. Amanda King, Sun Loving Mortal, Ama- Andrew Gray, excuse me, Jadink Lynch Margoon, Jen Robinson, Is Kate, Chloe Richardson, Kalisha Reeves, Kiki Noten, Kevin Strother, Jeanette Murphy, Casey McCain, and Enza. You crushed it, my boy. Enza Morricone. Great composer. Enza Morricone. <laughs> Loved your work great. on uh, the Dollars trilogy. Mm. Back to the show. And by a nose. Uh, where by are we? War Bonds. Where are we at in this movie? Oh, they <laughs> ate all the spaghetti. They jammed on the harp. War Bonds. Um, at this point, Laspari snitches Sa- on them. Sasparilla's like, hey, there's there's stowaways. Sasparilla. Laspari. <laughs> uh, so they get thrown into the detention cabin, at which point Tommaso opens a porthole. The water comes spewing in, and he tries to climb out. And then Driftwood, who happens to see them climbing out. He, he loves the chaos. Throws him a rope. Like, here you go. Uh, I want to see how this plays out. My second favorite joke. Dumb as shit. These are the kinds of th- Do you know what I'm talking about? Tommaso starts to climb oh, the rope. yeah. He gets to the top. He can't reach Driftwood. And Driftwood says, well, you're all right, but the boat's too far away. <laughs> <laughs> That's so dumb. I fucking love it, dude. Uh, and then he, there's this whole physical comment. Somebody was a stunt guy actually climbing this rope. It looked pretty impressive. Pretty uh, harrowing, yeah. There's some good climbing going on in this movie. Yeah. Rope yeah. climbing. Uh, and then there's, uh, he ends up climbing into the room with the bearded aviators who sleep together. They do in one bed. Why wouldn't they? Uh, I they're, mean, they're, they're brothers. They're brothers. They're close. They're fellow aviators. They're, they're back sleepers. The only aviator I've ever seen is Leonardo DiCaprio. And he peed in a bunch of jars in a room and stuff. It's the way of the future. <laughs> he gra- so Tommaso grabs the scissors. Uh, it starts. Is he trying to cut a butterfly that's flying around the room or something? It's like a moth. Yeah, like a moth or butterfly or something. But then that he, lived in the guy's beard. He starts to cut their beard. I don't even know what his plan. I thought he was just being a dick, but I guess they have a plan at this point. He has a plan. In the next scene, they arrive at New York, and Driftwood said says he's the aviator's interpreter. So he goes in there, and all three of them are now disguised. I guess they've like <laughs> I, tied I, the aviators to the bed. I, I real quick, I love when Groucho or uh, sorry Driftwood meets like the the city officials and he kind of butts his way like i'm there i'm the person come with me and if you stick with me hopefully a few of us will make it out alive <laughs> it's, just, you know, it's like what what <laughs> gotta get the fear in them to help believe the lie and they're disguised as the aviators he's they've cut their beards and stuff and like glued the hair to their face and they, they've tied up the aviators up. yeah uh, and then, th- th- but they end up at city hall with the mayor of new york speaking to hundreds and hundreds of people and like receiving this praise as these legendary aviators and they have to give speeches and tell us something about your achievement. Ah, well, I'll tell you about the story of how I got here. I flew here. I only got halfway. Didn't have enough gas. Had to turn around. So I got, (laughs) so I got even more gas. Got got very close. We're within three minutes away, but I had to turn around. Within Ran out three of gas. feet. Within three feet. <laughs> and then the first and the next time we got halfway there, didn't bring the plane. Forgot the plane. <laughs> so then I realized what to do. I didn't bring any gas. I didn't bring any plane. I took a, a steamboat here. <laughs> That's how I flew. Uh, and anyway, they're 
eventually they they feel out they figure out that they are being swindled, accuse them of that, and they flip it on them. Driftwood's good at he's pretending to speak a different language, I guess Italian. He's speaking mm-hmm. gibberish to them. Because Tommaso keeps pouring water, and I guess it's messing with the glue for his yeah, beard. He's chugging water because he can't make a speech, but he has to make a speech. Yeah, he just keeps drinking the water. So then the guy goes to apologize, the mayor, and hugs him, and the beard, the fake beard, sticks to his face, and they're found out. He gets. Uh, so then they're on the on the lamb in New York and hiding. So they go to hide in the hotel with Driftwood, uh, and there's this weird scene with cupcakes where he's like eating people's ties and like pieces of. Uh, he's part kind, goat that one. Yeah, he's part goat that one. Uh, if Come it's on, the, you're gonna be late for jail. If it's the police, <laughs> knock once more. <laughs> <laughs> they all jump out of the window. And his name is Henderson Plainsclothesman. Of course it is. Henderson Plainsclothesman. There's more hotel shenanigans. Hey, why is this table set for four? <laughs> and then there's like a Scooby-Doo-esque yeah. scene where like they're always in the room that uh, Henderson's not in. And every time he goes, they, they're like moving beds around for some reason. I didn't really understand why they kept moving the beds. Oh, wrong room. Wait a minute, wasn't there were four beds in here? How did those beds get in this room? But they trick him. Yeah, and it ends with them uh they eventually stage like they they keep putting new furniture in the second room and they like wear a beard and wear a coat and they trick him to thinking he's wandered into someone else's yeah. oh, apartment. Wrong room. <laughs> and that's actually terrifying the disguise that they have. Yeah, it's pretty horrifying. Yeah. Uh can you imagine that thing running at you in the in the dark? I can't. <laughs> you can stop things coming through your doggy door raccoons burglars whatever that thing is mm-hmm. have you seen that skit no that's a I think you should leave skit <laughs> I've only ever seen that clip on TikTok that keeps playing over and over uh, I didn't fucking do anything well it's a very similar skit to that where it's like an infomercial for a doggy door but it devolves into like this monster it's runs like a creature Adam, feature yeah it runs from the darkness Adam and then it, it's like, and it turns out that it was actually a pig with a, with a Richard Nixon mask on. But like in his, he like goes like, I've been really tired for weeks and I hadn't been sleeping very well. So when I saw it for the first time, I thought it was a monster and I thought it was going to eat me. But really it's my, uh, my neighbor Doug and I fucking hate that guy. <laughs> Listen, I'm not a fucking idiot. I knew it was a pig. I was just really tired. It's like him <laughs> trying to make up for the fact that he didn't realize it was a pig. It's a really funny skit. Oh, I've also seen the one where he's uh, harassing the haunted house tour guide with these like really uh, disgusting questions about ejaculate and stuff. Have you seen that one? Oh, I haven't seen that one. You've never seen that one? No, that one, no. That one's hilarious. The guy's like, all right. So the rumor is that the the ghost, you know, the guy died in the early 19th century and his soul has been haunting whatever. And then he'll be he'll like raise his hand. And at this point, he's asked so many of the same type of question that the guy's like, you're not allowed to fucking talk anymore. Stop <laughs> it. You're ruining the tour. And so at this point, he's streaming tears and he's like, so look, I know I'm not trying to ruin anybody's day or waste your time or whatever. I just want to know, does the guy... Does the ghost bust nuts in here? You know, whatever. And it's ridiculous. But I, I, I've, ever since that, I've been like, I got to watch that fucking show. Oh, There's my God. Some, did you, you ever seen the honk if you're horny skit? I've, like I said, I've only seen clips of it. It's like Key and Peele. Like, I've never watched the show. I just see the best clips. And I'm like, God, I got to watch that. There's a dude who has like a bumper sticker that says honk if you're horny. And this guy keeps like falling, like honking. Me, <laughs> me. It's me. I'm horny. Me. <laughs> so good. 
So yeah, that, that's funny. Much like the Marx Brothers are funny. Yeah. Uh, Similar styles. Everything. <laughs> kind of, except that Groucho famously refused to be a, a dirty comic. He mm-hmm. never he never cursed. Uh, but uh, Driftwood's fired and kicked out of the hotel because Ricardo reveals himself to Laspari. So all the effort that they went through to hide was in vain. Yeah, um, I didn't really understand why uh, Ricardo punched him. Because, like, he kind of yeah. reveals himself. It's like, ah, she's spoken for. And Laspar is like, well, I did not know that. I, that's, you know, two's a company, three's a crowd. And he's like, how fucking dare you? <laughs> and it seems like Laspar was like, very like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you guys were a thing. Well, of course, he's smarmy, and we know that he is. Yeah, uh, he's smarmy. He, but in that he moment. Beats Tommaso. He, yeah, in that moment, he was like, oh, okay. Well, I, I didn't know. I didn't know. I'm sorry. And then he just says that three's a crowd thing. And Ricardo's like, I'll fucking kill you. He knew what that meant. That was innuendo. He's not having a threesome. That's improper to suggest Still, that I she would. I think that was inappropriate. A little bit of it all worked flew out. off the handle, as it were. He did. He got a, he got Rosa fired and everything too. And yeah. Driftwood, what um, a hero! But they end up knocking out Gottlieb because that's Tommaso's move, and they slip uh, "Take Me Out to the Ball Game" composition into the uh, oh. Il, Il Tri- Trivatore opera. Mm-hmm. Did, did we get to the part where uh, Driftwood goes to the opera and everyone's like, oh, my God, Mr. Driftwood. Oh, my God, I love you. And he gets in the elevator and Otto's like, oh, Mr. Driftwood, you're so cool. And then when he gets fired, Otto's like, elevators for employees only. And he yeah. kicks him down like four <laughs> flights of stairs. Yeah. He rolls. It's like John Wick 4. And it's like a legit really good stunt. Yeah. It looks amazing. Yeah. But I just love that character turn where Otto's like, oh, you don't work here anymore? Get the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, like, ele- kicks him downstairs. Elevators are for employees. I love the scene in the park, too, like I was talking about earlier. That happens at this point. Uh, but then their big plan is to break into the opera. And they put the, <laughs> they infiltrate. Uh, and it, it's a bunch of cockamamie shit. I mean, they end up playing the ball game score and. Uh, the whole time that Laspari's singing and and doing his thing for the opera on stage, like they keep changing the backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And my favorite I love part when Tommaso is when and the the conductor start yes! like having like a little conductor sword fight yeah, with the wand. That was my favorite part. Oh my that's what I was gonna say because he he starts approaching the conductor and the conductor's like, "What are you doing? Stop it! No, no, get away from <laughs> yeah, that! Stop it! Stop it! Stop it!" He starts selling peanuts at the opera when the ball games song comes on. Uh, and then, you know, everything wraps up very quickly. I don't have many notes for the end. I'll be honest with you. They kidnap Laspari. Yeah, there's so much happening. Ricardo's offered a job, but he says that he demands that Rosa sing as well. So they both get to sing and everything ends happily in that way, except for the Marx Brothers themselves. But they'll be fine. That's yeah, they don't right. give a shit. Yeah. The, the, the crowd gets to hear Ricardo sing. They love it. So when Laspari <gasps> goes amazing. out, they like boo him. Yeah. Right, they threw an apple at me. How dare they? Uh yeah, and it's just a fun little. There's hijinks. There's a lot of wire work that's pretty impressive and fun to watch. Um, and but yeah, everyone the, the opera company vouches for him. They get their jobs back. Tommaso uh, <laughs> rips Gottlieb's jacket because they get into a contract tearing a thon rabbit hole, if you will. And and, yeah. and Tommaso just like gets gets a little little too jazz and rips Gottlieb's jacket. That poor dude. They've had a lot of practice ripping those contracts. Mm-hmm. For sure. And then Fenn, the end the of the movie. End. I've watched my first Marx Brothers movie. Write in if you've got a, another Marx Brothers suggestion. I think this is one of the highest rated just from my limited research. I mean, Groucho was working all the way from 1921 all the way up into the 70s, I think. Um, so there's probably a lot to watch. But this is a great start. I'm so glad you made me watch this because it's one of those things I probably would not have 
chosen to unless I challenged myself for something. Like I, I have committed to wa- watching like City Lights and Modern Times as far as Chaplin movies this year. Um, it's just not, I don't think it would be my thing, but apparently it is because I had such a fucking great time wa- uh, watching this. I gave it a four mm-hmm. out of five, I think, an eight out of 10. Uh, I had a good, good, good time. A lot of like the chuckles that I got were very mirthful chuckles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's the purest form of comedy, right? Yeah. It's sort of like, um, you know who Jim Gaffigan is? I, yes, absolutely. I love Jim Gaffigan because he's also a comic that like refuses to be like dirty. For the most yes. part, like, he doesn't swear for the most part. He's pr- a pretty clean comic. And those type of laughs, there's something more, I don't know, there's something more like honest, not honest, but like, Mirthful, like you said. Yeah, there's like this lovely feeling to like a clean comedy where like, oh, that's so true. And that brings you back and hits you in your childhood a little bit more, I think. Yeah. And that's what like literally everything that Groucho Marx was like saying was like hilarious and funny. And uh, Chico was also pretty funny, but he seemed more kind of to the side compared to the other three. Yeah. Um, and then Harpo got his his moments. But I, I like I said at the top, like that style of comedy doesn't work for me, but I appreciated it, especially the the musical stuff that he was doing. That was almost more impressive than any of the singing opera stuff that was happening. Yeah. I got emotional during that scene. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I dig a good clean comedy for sure, but I also ascribe to what Eminem says. Will Smith don't got a cuss to sell records. So fuck him and fuck you too. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I just... Keep your wife's name out of your mouth. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not the quote. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for, for having us watch a night at the opera. We, we adore all of our patrons. Many more uh, movies of the week to come. Mm-hmm. So check in next Wednesday for that one. Absolutely. Tomorrow is our episode two of Lost. It's a good one. And Friday is another uh, venture into space with Steve and Phil with Strange New Worlds. That's shag ass. That's all the time we have for right now. My name is Chris. And I'm Steve. And this. Ethan Hunt. Dreaming.